statement in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is our Scripture passage, and our focal point will be in verse 13. But first we read the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, after which we will respond by singing from hymn 47, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Hymn 47, stanza 1, 2, and 4. 1 Corinthians 12, this is the Word of God. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body." The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty." which our presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then Paul continues to describe that wonderful song of love in chapter 13, which is the way in the body, the circulation as the blood does come to every part of the body. Let us sing from hymn 47, the stanzas 1, 2, and… This morning, brothers and sisters, I may focus your attention particularly on verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 49, all four stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today, brothers and sisters, we celebrate Pentecost. We remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the old dispensation, the Holy Spirit had been present already. There He may not have filled every member of the household of God personally. On Pentecost, as Luke reports, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was showered on them from heaven, and not just with a trickle, a small drip. John the Baptist had not been able to give the Holy Spirit to the church. The Lord Jesus did with abundance. At Pentecost, the whole church was baptized immersed into the bath of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came to live in the congregation. The church became a dwelling in which God lives with His Spirit. Yes, also today, the Spirit of Pentecost extends to every believer. Now, I'm sure you are all aware of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, beloved, about the precious faith that we share 
and about the abundance of grace and peace that we desire. God's Word encourages us to work on our faith by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us grow in faith, helps us to progress in faith, and makes us more and more conscious of what we have in Christ. He also leads us in all the truth to greater holiness and godliness. He moves us to live closer to God, to fear Him and trust in all His promises. Then we learn how that is pursued in the way of prayer. More and more we flee to Christ, we call upon God's nearness, and we pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We grow in faith, and we increase in the Spirit by the pruning of our life through trials and tribulations, and with stumbling and stammering. Then we observe quite some differences among the congregation. Yet we all share in the one precious faith. We may not all be equally assured of our calling and election, yet we all receive the same abundance of grace. Among the congregation, then, brothers and sisters, a feeling of inequality occurs sometimes, that members look at each other, compare themselves to others, and feel inferior. Yes, there are those among us who feel like they are looked upon as second-rank believers in on something, make a different application of their faith to education, for instance. Others consider their own experience of faith and practice of faith and prayer, compare it with others, and feel inferior. They're not as emotional, perhaps, about it, or not as outspoken, but more sober and rational and factual. Yet compared to the focal ones, they feel like they are viewed as second-rank Christians. The same effect we can experience when we speak with believers who advocate the charismatic movements with people in the Pentecostal churches. They are baptized with the Holy Spirit and receive the second blessing, as they call it. They too seem to look at others as just common believers, second rank. Well, against this background, I proclaim God's Word, Pentecost, the church of Christ is baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life by faith, our first point, with fruits, our second point, in fellowship, our third point. So I summarize the message of our text as follows, Pentecost. The church of Christ is baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life by faith, with fruits, in fellowship. So, first of all, baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life by faith. In our text, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul speaks about the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
His main focus is the unity among the congregation. And you will understand that when you consider what great difficulties divided the church at Corinth, such as individualism, party spirit, and spiritual haughtiness. Among that congregation, for sure, there was a spirit and attitude leading to the existence of first and second rank members. The one member did not esteem the other better than himself, but considered himself a better believer than others. Hence, Paul pursues the unity among the congregation and her equality in Christ. The Holy Spirit unites the congregation in the unity of the true faith, and He is working in each and every member to make them living members of the church of Christ. Therefore, today, too, when we consider the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this congregation, this should have a unifying effect. For as Paul says in our text, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, or we were all baptized with one Spirit seeing that the Holy Spirit is not the one who baptizes, but Paul reminds the congregation of the gift of the Spirit, the baptizing with the Holy Spirit as on Pentecost. In all his epistles, beloved, the Apostle Paul explains and expounds this gift of the Holy Spirit. Time and again, he shows that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit belongs to all the believers. He who believes is in the Spirit, walks by the Spirit, and is led by the Spirit. As we confess in Lord's Day 20, those who belong to Christ by faith share in all His treasures and gifts, including the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hence, Paul can also write that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Romans 8, verse 9. When he writes about the sealing with the Holy Spirit also, Paul writes to the Ephesians, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Evidently, the gift of faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit coincide. What then, brothers and sisters, do the believers in the charismatic movement mean by the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, they say, it's true that faith is worked by the Holy Spirit. You're born again by the Holy Spirit, and you share in the salvation in Christ by faith, yet then you're not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith, the Holy Spirit may take a place in your heart, but He doesn't yet fill it. Compare it, if you will, with someone who finds room and board at a certain place, but doesn't yet live there as the main occupant. You need to seek the fullness of the Spirit. Pray for a richer experience in your life, namely, the repetition of Pentecost 
in your life. When that happens, you will experience the joy of the Spirit, speak in the tongues of the Spirit, and you become as holy as the Spirit. That's the so-called second blessing. When you have a common faith, you will be saved all right, but your life continues to be poor, cold, and lackluster, as is evident in so many believers. The second blessing changes that completely. Then Pentecost takes place in your life, and you become on fire for the Lord, bold in your confession and outgoing in your faith. Without this second blessing, however, without this baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's a malaise. Now, how come, brothers and sisters, these Pentecostals arrive at this conclusion? Well, first of all, they read the events that happened at Pentecost differently. They view it not as a historical fact in the history of salvation, but as a model an event that needs to take place in the life of everyone who comes to faith. They make it a norm for every true and full believer. They also read the rest of the book of Acts that way. As you know, after Acts 2, there are quite a few conversion stories. Think of Philip and his work among the people of Samaria. There many people came to faith. Yet, the apostles went there, and after the laying on of hands, those who at first believed, then also received the Holy Spirit. There also is the story of Cornelius. In his house, Peter proclaims God's Word, even though Cornelius supposedly believed already. Yet, suddenly, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Pentecost repeated itself. Is that true, though? No. It was when Cornelius came to faith that he received the Holy Spirit. Oh, sure, it was Pentecost in Samaria and in Cornelius' house, yet the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was made evident in order to signify that salvation is for the Samaritans, for the heathen too. These new believers had to know this, and Peter, and the people of Jerusalem too. Indeed, at one point, Paul speaks about a wall of separation that had to be broken down. Hence, Paul writes in our text, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. When we read in the book of Acts of those special occasions, beloved, in which the Holy Spirit came upon certain people, it is Christ, the head of His church, who reminds of Pentecost in order to establish the unity of the church. They were all baptized with one Spirit into one body. The believers in Jerusalem were not superior over those in Samaria. 
And the believers in Caesarea or in Ephesus were not second rank to those who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It had to be clear to apostles and members alike that they were not inferior in any way. In Acts 2 or 8 or 10 or 19, the Holy Spirit was poured out to show that no one needs to stay at the stage of John the Baptist, but everyone in the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ is baptized with the Holy Spirit. What happened on Pentecost was the fulfillment of John's word and of Jesus' promise for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 verse 5. In Acts 2 also, Peter proclaims the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises, as the work of the exalted Christ. It's not a model for conversion but a moment in the history of salvation. Of course, beloved, then this event has great effects and consequences for the church. Yes, for each individual believer's life of faith, Christ gave His Holy Spirit to the church, dwells by His Spirit in the congregation, and unites them in the one true faith, in the grace and peace of God, and in the love and unity of the Spirit. Yes, Paul may well have thought of the Lord's Supper also when he adds, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. It's clear that Paul doesn't divide the congregation into a part that has and a part that has not received the Holy Spirit. When someone comes to faith, the Holy Spirit doesn't just move into a part of his heart, but by faith occupies the believer's whole heart, soul, and mind. Yes, his life. And so we come to our second point, baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life with fruits. When you come to faith, beloved, Christ becomes the landlord in your life. He does so in the life of every true believer, different as the one may be from the other. You know, it's beautiful when you can say in truth, I already feel a strong beginning of the eternal joy in my heart. Thank God for it, and praise the Holy Spirit of Christ for His gift of the joy of faith. It's great also to hear a fellow believer say, I live more closely to my God than I ever did in my life. I feel His hand on my shoulder, and I feel His Spirit in my heart. I have a very personal relationship with the Lord. It makes me quite emotional at times. Thank and praise the Holy Spirit and thank Christ for His gifts. It's just as great, however, when you hear someone else say, thank God, I believe too. I may be the sober type, 
I just believe and I put my trust in God. No, I, I can't say that I feel anything special, yet for 70 years already I have lived in the fear of our God. I can't share any special experience, yet I have lived and served in thankfulness for Christ's deliverance ever since my youth. Thank God in Jesus Christ. Thank Christ also when you, as a young member, you've kind of gone through the motions, lived a shallow life of faith, and now say, boy, do I ever experience a time of growth? Yes, experience a growth spurt in my maturing to faith, if you like. Praise the Lord. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about in our text, beloved, when he says, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And I put the emphasis on the word all. All the different members of the congregation are baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed into Him, you could say. The Holy Spirit brings to each and every member personally all the treasures and gifts of Christ, all the blessings and benefits of Christ. Then where does He bring these? Does He pour them into your mind only? Or fill your feelings with it? Lay it in your hands to run with it? Or place it into a corner of your heart, in one room of your life? No! He fills your whole heart with it. By His Spirit, He opens that heart, renews it, and fills it. Then from the heart, Christ wants to change everything. Your will, your mind, your hands, and your feelings. In the outcome of that work, however, we see different fruits because we are all different people. The one is more an emotional type. The other is the handyman. A third one is strong-willed. And a fourth one is the thinker, the more rational kind. Then it may seem as if the emotional type is much warmer than the rational one and express his faith more sensitively than the man with willpower. Some believers speak more easily than others, while others show their thankfulness and joy more in the way of working with their hands and helping with their time. They're all baptized with the Holy Spirit, though. They're all equally spiritual in their fruits then none is first or second rank, for they all believe with the heart and bear fruits in their life. The Holy Spirit has more aims and purposes with His work than just an emotional witness or a special experience or the rational exposition of a system of doctrine. Then each and every member lives by faith seeks his life outside of himself in Jesus Christ, and employs his gifts and talents in the service of Christ for the well-being and benefit of the other members. 
when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life with fruits, brothers and sisters, we live in the first place for Christ and in Christ and through Christ. Paul puts that in Galatians 2 verse 20 as, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is the landlord. He owns the whole house, and He wants to renew and rule the whole house. His Spirit wants to determine what happens in the living room as much as what occurs in the rec room or bedroom. He doesn't just want to see the nice and tidy living room of your heart and life, but the storage room also. That is the dark part of your life, the part that you keep locked and away from visitors. He wants to see your kitchen. That is the place where you eat and keep your food. And then He wants to be the source of your food for life and the beginning of your energies in work. He also wants to know what's in your root cellar and or wine cellar and desires to be the owner and the monitor of your visits there. He also knows of the closets, the fireproof cabinets, and the policies, valuables, and financial documents that are stored in there. He wants to know who is master over it, he or you. He wonders whether you are at peace to have His Holy Spirit look over your shoulder when you are dealing with your financial affairs. Yes, as landlord in your life, He wants to see whether you are seeking His kingdom in your bedroom, building His church in your marriage, and seeking His will and well-being in the family room as well. Yes, even on the attic, or the loft in the garage, or the shed behind the house, the place where you keep your mess, your junk, that is your confused thoughts and mixed feelings and anxieties. He wants to bring order there, and rest, and peace. Yes, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, beloved, this is what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Christ wants to renew your life and cleanse your house. He wants you to pray by faith, pray in the Spirit that He may make all the rooms of your life beautiful and clean. You don't need a second blessing for that. For in Christ you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, who is the source of this renewal, and who gives the power for this work, and who gives you hope that all God's plans with you and your life will come to fruition. He also assures you that you are not second rank, or that you are stuck and imprisoned in the sins of the past and of all that you have done wrong before. He sets you free and places you in the glorious liberty with all the children of God. 
Yes, you are baptized with His Holy Spirit unto a life in fellowship with all the saints, which is our third point, baptized with the Holy Spirit unto a life in fellowship. It's been mentioned already, brothers and sisters, but it's worthy of note that we find our text in the context of Paul's pursuit of the unity of the congregation. Rather than allowing for a notion of first and second rank members to take root, Paul articulates the fact that we are all baptized with the Holy Spirit into one body. Whether we are Jews or Greeks, slaves or free men, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Paul repeats what he's written in verse 7 already. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We are immersed into the, the Holy Spirit in for that reason, and showered by the Holy Spirit with gifts and talents and a multitude of activities. Yes, indeed, what a variety of opportunities we see. What a variety of talents we have. And what a variety of functions and positions we fill here in the congregation at Ancaster. There is no one who is without, and there is no one who needs to be idle. Just as it is in the whole, in the body, every member, organ, and part has a place and purpose. In the context of this chapter, beloved, the Apostle Paul mentions that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, and different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Then Paul also mentions gifts of grace and power that were typical for the beginnings of the early church spectacular gifts such as the gift of healing, of prophesying, of speaking in tongues, etc. As we can see in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, these were gifts granted to the apostles in the context of their mission. Their signs accompanying the preaching of the apostles and their helpers not signs that the believers all and everywhere could perform. Indeed, in the book of Acts, we do see the apostles perform these signs and miracles to confirm and enforce the preaching of the gospel. Among the gifts of the Spirit, therefore, we have to distinguish between these spectacular manifestations of the Spirit during the apostolic era and the gifts of the Spirit that are still abundant in the congregation of Christ. The former and latter gifts all manifest the glory of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Yes, from the fullness of His power and authority, Christ still gives many gifts by His Spirit with which we serve each other in His congregation. In the light of this gospel, beloved, we must look around today and observe the fact with gratitude that we are all baptized 
with the Holy Spirit into one body. When we pay attention carefully, we become aware of many gifts of service, of administration, of teaching, of prophecy, and of hands and feet that are willing to help in love. Yes, as congregation also, we are diverse in social status, in financial abilities, and in ethnic background. Together, we form the church of our Lord Jesus Christ at this place, and we recognize each other as believers in Christ and as brothers and sisters in the Holy Spirit of Christ. And we are one. God doesn't know first and second rank, but gives to all His Holy Spirit generously. God gives us all to each other and lifts us all out above the divisions, the narrow-mindedness, and social varieties, and makes us members of one body who share in one spirit and who serve in the unity of faith, the one God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.